Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hey, this is Ryan Kreidler. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Guiding principles. There are a few guiding principles to this podcast. There are a few terms we live by. There's a few ideas that hone in on what this show needs to be about. And it wasn't that long ago that Dave Littlefield, the Detroit Tigers Vice President of Player Development, came on this show and said the following about minor leaguers working their way up the ladder. You know, we have a lot of eyes that, uh, whether it's Alan Trammell or Jim Leland or Al or David Chad, that besides our scouts and our player development people with looking at these players that are given us a variety of opinions. So you weigh a lot of those experienced opinions to, to make these decisions. But in general, Al has uh, really implemented a system that he'd like to see guys you know, earn their way to the next level, which makes a lot of sense and is, frankly, is kind of a, it's a nice way to be able to, you know, put the system together and send that message to the players. Uh, getting on base, here's the 0-1. Riley rips it deep left field, going back on the ball of Sawinski at the warning track, at the wall, and it's gone! Touch of all time, Riley Green, number 16, and the Seawolves lead it 3-1. That is now four straight games with a home run for Riley Green, and he goes to the opposite field this time to get it. Is the 1-1. Swing a shot out toward left field. Another one for Spencer Torkelson. A solo home run for his second of the day. 3-2 pitch, Greidler launches it out toward deep left center field. Bay heads to the wall again, and we've got back-to-back jacks. Riley Green and Ryan Kreidler make it 2-0. Three members of the Tigers' top 30 prospects are headed to AAA Toledo. It starts with Spencer Torkelson. He's going to Toledo after hitting 270 with the Erie Seawolves, had a 7-for-7 performance on Friday against the Altoona Curve. Riley Green is going with them. 
It's like that scene in Angels in the Outfield where like the dad adopts the one kid and then he's like, oh, wait, what about my friend? And he's like, oh, don't worry about him. He's coming too. <laughs> so Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, they're going to Toledo. Along with them is Ryan Kreidler, who hit over 250 with Erie, showed some power, 15 home runs, very quietly with 15 home runs in double-A this year. You know he was playing for short-season Connecticut two years ago? Never played at the Class-A level and actually improved his numbers substantially across the board. Tigers had a gut feeling about him. They decided to challenge him, and he has responded. Now look at him. He's in triple-A Toledo along with Torkelson and green and they're not alone there were a ton of players that got promoted we'll talk about them later in the show one of our guiding principles is that this is the people's podcast we run the show that you want but did you know that it's not just the people's podcast i may or may not have had a conversation recently with a person who is an avid listener of this show and it turns out that player is a member of the tigers minor league system we're not just the people's podcast. We're the players podcast. <laughs> Name me another Tigers podcast that is listened to by the players we cover. This is the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. I'm Dan Hasty. That is Nate Wangler. The only podcast about Tigers minor league prospects listened to by the Tigers minor leaguers themselves. Coming up on today's show, Ryan Kreidler, the Detroit Tigers number 19 prospect. He's headed to AAA Toledo and AA Erie Seawolves radio voice Greg Gania. Let's cover some news and notes here as we begin this edition of the RTD. Well, Dave Littlefield, who we just mentioned, was in attendance for the West Michigan Whitecaps and Lake County Captains game on Saturday. And guess who just happened to be pitching for the Whitecaps that particular night? He's ahead in the count. The 0-2 pitch to Julian Escobedo from Reese Olsen. Swing and a miss, strike three. Strikeout number nine for Olsen. There's a new career high for the newest West Michigan Whitecap. Valera holds that bat, rested against his left shoulder. Reese Olsen is set. Here comes his 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three. Ten strikeout game for Reese Olsen here in Lake County. Reese Olsen goes five innings of scoreless baseball, allowed four hits, only walked one batter. The control has looked really good through his two starts in West Michigan. And, oh, yeah, he struck out ten batters. That is a career high for Reese Olsen. His last high was eight, and that's a Whitecaps season high. Immediately promoted to double-A Erie after that start. Congratulations to Reese Olsen. He certainly deserved it. This was the talk. Tigers general manager Al Avila said after Olsen was acquired in the trade for Daniel Norris that it was probably going to be a short appearance in West Michigan. Who's the character from The Simpsons? You know the one in all the gifts where the old man walks in the room, takes his hat off, puts it on the rack, does a little circle in front of Bart, takes his hat off the rack, puts it on his head and walks out. That was Reese Olsen's experience in West Michigan. <laughs> but you know what? That was the plan. Meanwhile, here's a look at the other players moving up in the minor league chain. Brady Policelli, he's also going back to Toledo. He had 300 for Erie this year. We'll talk a little bit about him when we talk to Ryan Kreidler coming up in just a few minutes. To Erie, it's not just Reese Olsen. Andrew Navigato, who was a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades with West Michigan, Cole McLaren, the catcher, an outfielder, and a young man who had a phenomenal breakout start to 2021. Eric De La Rosa, he gets the nod to go to AA 
as well. Congrats to all four. Headed to West Michigan, three new players, and all three could easily be significant contributors. Jake Holton is headed to West Michigan. The former Creighton Blue Jay was a 10th round pick of the Tigers back in 2019. Had a 385 on base percentage this year, 45 games in Lakeland. He was the former Big East Player of the Year back in 2019. Another position player and a former first baseman, the Tigers are turning into an outfielder. Austin Murr, 22-year-old left-handed hitter from NC State. He is the first 2021 MLB draftee by the Tigers to make it to high Class A West Michigan. And when you figure out what his numbers were, you realize why. He hit 267 with Lakeland in a very short amount of time, but his on-base percentage was nearly 500. He had a 17-9 to walk to strikeout rate. He was seeing the ball exceptionally well, was named second team all ACC, and was a Rawlings Gold Glove winner at the collegiate level. He actually opened the season ranked number five in D1 baseball's list of the top five college first basemen. So they obviously know he can handle it at first base, but they want to see if he can handle the outfield. And so far, so good for Austin Murr. Last but not least, the left-hander Jack O'Loughlin, the native of Adelaide, Australia. West Michigan's like Australian North right now. Ulrich Boyarski, he's in West Michigan. Zach Shepard, who's now in the bullpen, he's from Australia. I feel like we got to have a band full of didgeridoo. <laughs> but Jack O'Loughlin, or Jack O'Lantern, <laughs> he went 3-1 and one with a 2.20 ERA in Lakeland. A starting pitcher expected to join the Whitecaps rotation. Numbers were strong across the board. Excited to see him with the Whitecaps. That's a look at the news from the Tigers minor league system this week. Let's hit the on-ramp. Down in the complex league, the Tigers East and West squads on the East team, Manuel Sequeira, 18-year-old shortstop, acquired by the Tigers out of Venezuela in 2019, was named the Florida Complex League Player of the Week, 9 for 15 Three doubles, seven runs batted in, hit three home runs, and he's already off to a good start this week as he homered early on Monday. On the West team, Isaac Pacheco hit safely in three of his four games. He's actually hit safely in all but one of the games as a pro so far. A double, a pair of runs batted in, hitting around 300, an on-base percentage near 450. Adin So Reyes, he's a Tigers top 30 prospect. A 19-year-old infielder acquired out of the Dominican Republic in 2018, Hit a pair of home runs against the Phillies Complex League squad. Finished 7 for 15, three doubles, four runs batted in. And Roberto Campos currently riding a five-game hit streak, a double, a home run, a pair of runs batted in. Let's go to low A Lakeland. The Flying Tigers have started to win some ball games. They have won five out of seven in Palm Beach. Eliezer Alfonso, he has turned into the Giancarlo Stanton of the low A Southeast League. Eliezer Alfonso, who did not hit a home run with the Whitecaps for the first two months of the season, went down the Lakeland, and whatever he did, I hope he never changes it again. He was the low-A Southeast player of the week, 9 for 31, three doubles, a triple, seven runs batted in. He's already got seven home runs down for the Flying Tigers. Meanwhile, Colt Keith, he has been on fire, 10 for 23, two doubles, a triple, while driving in five, he finished the week a perfect 7-for-7 seven seven at the plate in his last two ball games. I don't think it'll be very long until we're talking about Colt Keith possibly being moved up the ladder like some of the other guys 
in the system on this episode. Meanwhile, speaking of which, Jack O'Loughlin gave up just two runs through 11 and a third innings of work, struck out 15. So he's on his way to West Michigan. Meanwhile, the Whitecaps, they won two out of six on the road against Lake County. They got walked off on a couple of times. Final road trip outside of the state of Michigan this season. We mentioned Reese Olsen. Gage Workman hit safely in five out of the six games. Still trying to make more consistent contact, but when he does, he hits the ball extremely hard. A pair of doubles, a triple, a home run, and picked up four runs batted in. Daniel Cabrera. Six for 23 in the series against Lake County. He had three doubles, drove in four, and hit his seventh home run. To AA Erie, the Seawolves took four out of six against the Altoona Curve, what turned out to be the final week in Erie for Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, Brady Policelli, and Ryan Kreidler. By the way, tip of the cap to the Erie Seawolves. They put on a phenomenal ball game on Saturday to honor the memory of Chase Numata, who tragically passed away in a skateboarding accident. We talked about that last season here on the road to Detroit. Speaking of 7-for-7, seven seven, Spencer Torkelson, we mentioned he ended up going 7-for-7 seven seven in a ball game. You know he used Daniel Cabrera's bat that day? I think that one's going to go to Toledo with him. A double, seven runs batted in, three home runs, all in those back-to-back games on August the 12th. Ryan Kreidler, who we'll talk to momentarily, 7-for-24, ended up with a double in his 15th home run. He ends up leaving Erie, having hit almost 300 during the month of August. It's amazing when you think about what he was doing in Connecticut a couple of years ago. I think he was hitting around 230, and to now see him have his batting average go higher now in AA, that just shows how much work he's put in. Meanwhile, Brady Palacelli, 7 for 19, two doubles, five RBIs, and his fifth homer of the year. And, oh, yeah, Riley Green, your double-A Northeast player of the week, the first Seawolf to homer in four straight games since Tyler Collins in 2013. On the week, Green finished 13 for 26, three doubles, a triple, and 12 runs batted in. Yeah, I think he showed that he was ready to go. To AAA Toledo. That's where we go. They split a six-game set on the road in Columbus. Reynaldo Nunez homered in back-to-back games before getting sent up to Detroit. Kristen Stewart had homers in back-to-back games. And Cody Clemens went seven for 24, had five runs batted in, and home runs in back-to-back games. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. It was a banner day in the Detroit Tigers minor league system on Sunday. It was a phenomenal weekend, especially in Erie, where the Erie Seawolves had all kinds of success against the Altoona Curve. And that weekend finished with a mass promotion. Three players from the Erie Seawolves get promoted to AAA Toledo. Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, and this man, Ryan Kreidler, joins us here on the road to Detroit, a former fourth rounder who played in Connecticut. Yeah, short season back in 2019. He ends up in AA this year, and now he's going to Toledo. What a year for you. Congratulations. Thanks, Dan. Um, I appreciate it. It's been been a wild year, and um, although we missed 20, 2020, it's it's definitely been uh, kind of a, a quick rise, and I'm really excited to get going in Toledo. Is this fair to say that this year for you, and I know that team success is always your number one goal, but for you, I mean, does this kind of feel like best case scenario to this point? My goal has always been to get to Detroit and get to the major leagues, and I just viewed both AA and AAA, as well as, you know, kind of the lower levels in the minor leagues, but 
I viewed these levels as just kind of necessary steps to get where I want to go. So um, I don't know if I'd call it, you know, best case scenario. I think best case scenario would mean I'm in the big leagues. And like I said, that's the ultimate goal. But it's it's definitely awesome to be recognized and put in a lot of hard work to get here. And I'm excited that uh, that I can go help these guys chase a playoff run and, and they're in first place right now. So that's uh, it's an exciting move. Yeah, you were close to the top spot in Erie, and now you're right there in the thick of it in Toledo. And it leads me to the question that I think a lot of people are curious to know. How did you find out? My girlfriend was in town in, uh, in Erie, so we were getting, uh, getting some ice cream, getting some burgers. Um, and on the way back, I get a call from Arnie Baylor, who's our manager. Um, he said, hey, where, where are you? you know, and I said, um, driving back. Uh, driving back to the apartment after the game. It was only maybe an hour and a half after the game. He said, well, you better turn around because you got to pack up your stuff and you're going to, you're going to Toledo. So it was very cool. You know, it's, it's, it's a great call to get. Every ball player wants those calls and super thankful that, that he believed in me and, and um, their coaching staff and, and all, everyone involved uh, had my back in this. And uh, so that was a very cool call to get. And now look at you. You're only one more phone call away. What was the sense that you got from some of the other guys who got promoted along with you, like Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green? Yeah, we're all just excited, man. It's We've all been to Toledo at different times. They, they were there for, for uh, the alternate site last summer. I was there for the alternate site after spring training this year. And Brady Palacelli, who was also going up, was there at the start of, of this season. So, um, you know, we're all really excited. We're all sort of familiar with it. I think um, obviously, AAA is a different different beast than any alternate site could be. Um, so we're we're excited for the challenge. I know you don't have to tell Riley or Tork or Brady for that matter that uh, a challenge is is anything too daunting for them. I think um, I've learned a lot from all those guys, and and um, yeah, we're really excited to get up there. We hope to make an impact and, and help them win. Yeah, you mentioned Brady Policelli. He was hitting over 300 with you guys at the time of his promotion. He's on his way to Toledo with you guys. And what a year. I mean, take us through the dynamic of how that Erie team changed from the beginning of the season to when Spencer Torkelson arrives to when you find out that you're heading with him, Riley and Brady up to Toledo. The start of the year, um, yeah, it's funny looking at looking at the Toledo roster right now. There are quite a few Seawolves you know, there from the start of the year. Um, I know Juan Centeno's making an impact. Yariel Gonzalez making an impact. Um, Cole Peterson was with the area at the time. And yeah, so quite a few guys and Lester now is up there. And so, yeah, we're, it's, it's um, definitely some familiar faces up there. I think at the start of this year, I showed up to Erie, Erie with Riley and we lived together, just kind of had each other's backs because we were the kind of the two young guys. Um, he's quite significantly younger than I am, but I like to feel 20 at times. And yeah, so it, it you know, we've, we've kind of just grinded the season out. Honestly, it's been, we've played, I think 90 games and uh, Riley's played in probably like 84 and I've played 88. So it's just been a total grind and um, we embrace that challenge. And, and um, you know, I think Riley in particular has really impressed me with, you know, the way he's gone about his business and, and Torque as well. When, when he arrived, um, there's a lot of expectation for those guys and, as someone who uh, hits in between them in the lineup, it's it's easy for me to see when they when they wear it on their shoulders, and they did a great job of putting the baseball first and putting the outside pressures, you know, last. And uh, super impressed by those two, and um, I'm impressed by Brady coming down after a tough start and turning his year around. So, um, yeah, like I said, you know, it's 
familiar faces in Toledo, but uh, it's a new challenge and, and we're excited. Not every team does this in the sense of how aggressive that they're moving you guys up. I mean, there are a lot of major league teams that keep a team in the same place the entirety of the year, and they don't change the dynamic of that roster. I think you're a great example because you could have very easily started this year in class A, whether that be low or high A, but the Tigers got aggressive. They got aggressive with you. They thought you could handle it. You obviously could. What does it mean to you to be in a system that is willing and able to move guys as quickly as they're moving somebody like you and the rest of the guys? It means everything. You know, it's that's that's all you can hope for is, um, you know, you want to be able to play well and, and be recognized and get out. That's the whole goal of the minor leagues is to advance. And it's really encouraging. And um, I know extension of big league stream training and um, that I didn't expect to go to the alternate side. And I, I can't say I expected to start in double A, but I believe I earned those things. And, and it's awesome to see that that the Tigers believe in me enough and trust me enough to to handle those assignments. So. I'm just trying to be a professional and, and take everything day by day. And, and um, it's awesome to see that, like I said, that the Tigers really believe in me to, to be a pro and to kind of learn how to, to handle a full season. You know, in watching some of these guys on your team that have moved up, whether it be a Brady Policelli or a Josh Lester, or even some of the guys that you're going up to Toledo with right now, what kind of things from your teammates would you say you've picked up along the way this year? I think it's different things from different guys. I think the, from the guys with more experience on our teams, I think I've, I've learned, you know, how to develop a routine, how to, how to come to the ballpark at a certain time every day and be productive and, but not, not, not kill yourself and, and not overdo it. Um, and then from a skill standpoint, I think there, I don't know if there's a better team in the minor leagues to, to watch hit uh, than our team, you know, and, and, Watching Riley and Torque every day was awesome, and watching Dylan Dingler was awesome. And because you realize that every every guy has their own strengths and weaknesses, and and um, you know, I I know personally I made some swing changes and all that, so I'm always looking to improve. And and whatever I could take from Torque on a certain day, or Riley on a certain day, or Dingler on a certain day, or Lester, um, you know, I would just grab it and try it, and and whatever sticks sticks and whatever doesn't, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's all good, you know, cause, cause you get to play every day and you get to try new things. And that's one of my favorite parts about pro ball is, is getting to the yard every day and being able to try new things. And, uh, it was a perfect situation for me. I grew a lot, um, professionally and, and with my skill set, and, um, I'm hoping to do the same thing in Toledo. We're talking with Ryan Kreidler. He is ranked as a Tigers top prospect currently comes in on the Tigers top 30 list at number 19, so we heard this story, and maybe you can confirm this, that on Spencer Torkelson's seven-for-seven seven performance back on the doubleheader last Friday, he was actually not using his own bat. He was using the bat of one of his former teammates in West Michigan, Daniel Cabrera. Is that true? And have you been getting hits with anybody else's bats this year? That is true, as far as I know. Danny's got some sweet bats, but... So, yeah, as far as I know, the bat is true. I don't know if uh, – I'm using my bats. I kind of stick to my guns there. I don't really trust anybody else's wood. But, uh, yeah, I think I think he was using Decap's bat. So, pretty funny story. Decap should get, you know, some, some on-base percentage for that or something. 
What happens in that situation if Spencer like breaks a bat that day? Like, like does he owe Daniel Cabrera something or a bat or money or how does that work? I don't know. I think I think at this point these guys get, you know, I know I see Torque and he gets all the mail. He gets all the mail in the world and he gets all these bats and whatever. So, you know, it comes with comes with the with the one one title, I guess. Uh, getting all the gear. So no, I don't think it would have hurt him too much if he broke it. I think uh, I think Boris could send him a new one, but. Um, <laughs> They share an agency, so I, I think it. I think it'd be all right. Yeah, I think they have people for that. All right, so fifteen home runs, thirty extra base hits, double digit stolen bases. What went right for you so far this year? Just making the right adjustments. I think um, you know at the start of the year I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. You begin to press a little bit. You want. I mean, obviously you're in a. I felt like I was in a great situation to advance and um, didn't feel like I was taking advantage of it. So being able to kind of hit the pause button and, and not punish yourself over not performing the way you want to is difficult. And like I said, that's something I, I was, I've been developing this year and, and it's a, it's a real skill set having the fortitude to kind of, you know, not, not beat yourself up over tough games. So bouncing back from that, I think being aggressive at the plate and taking my game to, to each team and not being reactive. I, I was trying to be as proactive as I could. Um, reading scouting reports, uh, developing plans, having a good approach. And, um, you know, obviously the swing has to be there. And so I feel like my swing um, has come a long way since 2019 and, and I've made some changes and super happy with where it is right now, but obviously not a finished product yet. And, and it's constantly changing just like everyone else. And so I'm going to keep the pedal to the metal there and, and um, keep pushing forward. But so far it's just been kind of a game, a season of adjustments. I love proactive versus reactive. That might be my favorite drop that you've said at any point in this conversation. I think it shows a lot. And talking about adjustments, you know, there are sometimes situations where guys are stuck in bad habits and they usually don't get those fixed until, say, the end of the season, maybe instructionals in the fall. But you've had to undergo some of these mid-season. How have you been able to navigate this all while playing along the way? I just think it's 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 your job. And um, something I picked up, we had Mark Leiter on our team, Mark Leiter Jr. on our team, who's pitching the big leagues. He's been around a lot of great players. And the first thing he said was, you know, don't ever complain about doing the work. You know, don't ever complain about taking ground balls or getting in the cage early or whatever, because this is what you sign up for. Um, this is your job. And if you want to do this at the highest level, which Mark has, you have to be just a, a blue collar kind of guy, but put the time in. And there's been a lot of days this year, Dan, where, you know, it's game 75 and you're, you know, it's 85 degrees, 80 percent humidity, whatever. And it's maybe you don't want to be out there for early work, but those are the times when something may just click for you. And I think I've had a couple of those moments this year where um, maybe on a rain out and we're hitting in the cages and I'm bouncing ideas off, you know, Joel, our hitting coordinator or, you know, whoever else where, you know, I think to myself, Hey, that's, you know, maybe I should just try that bang. You know, that, that could be the moment that turns your season around. You just never know. Um, so like I said, I'm open to, I'm always open to trying new things and, um, you never know when something's going to stick. And so, um, just being open to, to new ideas and, and, and open to trying new things with your swing and, and you never know what's going to, what's going to stick for you. What's the biggest way that you've been challenged this year? Just definitely playing every day. 
yeah, I played the, the whole first half with no off days. Um, that was a huge challenge for me. I think uh, that's one reason why I was in Erie is so I had the opportunity to play all the time. You know, with Trey and Gage Workman, those guys are also playing shortstop. So we're all able to play, you know, a lot. And that's super important. I think um, I think developing that skill set of, of consistency and uh, developing a routine is, is pretty much everything in pro ball. Once you have those down, then um, you can start to work on the finer details. But until you have a routine, it's, it's really tough to, to be a consistent guy. And um, as, as you know, to play in the big leagues, you got to play for 162, man. It's, it's a long year. So learning how to play every day is, has been the biggest thing. I think um, obviously double A pitching and, and all that is, is tough and everyone's had to adjust to that, but yeah, definitely just, just playing every day. Let's go back a bit. You got launched over low and high class A baseball. How different was the talent in double A as opposed to short season ball where you were playing in 2019? You know, it's different. I think um, pro ball, there's always guys with good skill sets. I would say, I would say double A is more concentrated. You know, there's, there's guys with good skill sets all through, you know, all through each lineup and uh, even back into the bullpens and, uh, each starting pitcher's got got something, or else they wouldn't be at that level. So, um, I think just re- learning to recognize why guys are in certain spots. Everyone's had to have success at the lower levels to to get here. So, the talent is is better, I would say, more consistent. And um, but you, you, just learning to recognize what each guy does and to have success for them is huge because uh, each guy kind of has their little niche. We're talking with Ryan Kreidler here on the Road to Detroit podcast, presented by Carhartt. Your manager, Arnie Baylor in AA, said this about you. And to me, it's one of the highest compliments that a ball player can receive. He said, quote, he's a real asset even when he's not hitting. And I love that quote because some guys go 0 for 4 and they don't bring anything else to the table. But clearly you're different. What does that type of label mean to you? Yeah, that, like you said, that's a huge compliment. I think um, Arnie and I are both He's an infield guy, so he recognizes that uh, I try not to take offense to defense and defense to offense. I try and keep them separate. At the start of the year, I wasn't really swinging it. And, um, I just tried to lock down on defense and be valuable for, for my pitching staff, and um, that's something I take a lot of pride in. I, I enjoy playing defense. I enjoy being a leader, um, talking the game, communicating with my, with my teammates. That's you know all, all a big part of it for me, I think. Being a baseball player means you do it on both sides of the ball. I think Joey Gallo just talked about that last week, and he's absolutely right, man. It's it's uh, playing defense is huge, and being able to separate, you know, your at bats from your playing the field is is, is huge because you never know, you never know when that big play is going to come in the field, and you know, one bad play defensively can kind of send you spiraling, and as everyone knows, so uh, there's there's never any room to take time off, and um, I'm happy that he that he uh, recognizes that out of me. Not surprised that you're kind of surveying the landscape through all of Major League Baseball while you make your pursuits on the minor league side. You know, your dad's a big deal on the West Coast. Big time writer, big time radio show host, Mark. What are the advantages to having a dad in that particular field of media? Yeah, I think he exposed me to not only baseball, but um, a lot of other sports at an early age. I think he was covering Olympics at the time. He was covering Rose Bowl, Super Bowls. Anything you name it, he's he's he was covering those, and uh, and then obviously he did baseball for a while in San Diego, and and, um, and then did his his radio shows for a while. But 
yeah, he just, you know, he introduced me to, to everything. He introduced me to good guys to the media. He introduced me to bad guys to the media. He introduced me to clubhouses, practice facilities, hard work. He, he gave me a lot of exemplary guys to look at. Guys like Mike Bibby and, and guys like him on the Sacramento Kings. And, you know, you go shake these guys' hands and maybe they're kind of unassuming, but then you watch them on the court and you're like, oh, this guy's a killer. So he, he was a big influence on me early on. Since we talked about dad, we got to talk about mom. What can you tell me about your mom, Colleen? What's her story? My mom's a, she's the best mom in the world. She grew up with a huge family, big Italian family. They are East Coast heavy. They're also West Coast heavy now, but she grew up, she was born on the East Coast. And she, so when I'm out here playing in Maryland, there's always some family out here when we play the Orioles affiliates and um, had some family out in, in Binghamton a couple weeks ago. So we kind of like to say her, her uh, maiden name is Costello. We like to say Costellos are everywhere, you know. And so she, yeah, she, she's always supported me. She's always been the one to ask if she can put the ball on the tee for me. You know, if I'm, if I'm going to hit, hey, can I, you know, put the ball on the tee for you? And I say, no, mom, it's okay. I can do that. <laughs> but um, she's great. And, and she works her butt off. She, she's always had food on the table for me and, and supported me in every journey I've had. So very, very thankful. What can you tell me about going to ball games with mom and dad growing up? I mean, when you when you go way back, I mean, your earliest baseball memories. I, I knew I know you grew up a Yankees fan. So, what is your earliest memory for you of why you love baseball? I think the earliest memory would be watching my brother play. Um, he was, I think that's probably the earliest one, but that's what I remember the most. My brother was just, you know, he's playing t-ball and he, and uh, he's three and a half years older than me. So he was always, you know, a level or two above where I was. And I'd be their bat boy or whatever and um, always just bug him. Hey, can I get in that bat? Hey, can I, you know, can I play left field, left center? Let me play over the fence and left field. Just get me out there, you know. And then he would play wiffle ball together, me and my brother Pat. And, uh, in the front yard and I'd try and take it deep and he would strike me out because he was older. So, um, yeah, just hanging out with him and, and we would go to ball games. We, we live pretty close to Sacramento River Cats, which is the uh, AAA affiliate. It used to be the A's, now it's the Giants. We live close to Oakland. We'd go to A's games, uh, go to Giants games. We, we'd do it all. And, and um, just that competition with me and my brother is probably what drew, uh, what drove me to be better than him just because I just hated him so much because he was so much better than I was for so long. And then, you know, obviously my parents, we, we went out to tons of games and my grandpa was a big Yankees fan. He always, he had these stories about going to Yankee stadium when he was in college and when he was uh, kind of a young adult, he'd go to Yankee stadium and pay 50 cents for bleacher seats. That's what he would always tell me. Yeah, I paid 50 cents and I'd go see DiMaggio and, you know, all those guys. And so that's who I idolized. I just wanted to be a Yankee and playing for the Tigers is a, is a very, very good option as well. But uh, my grandpa grew up out there, so he always wanted me to wear the pinstripes. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool moment to uh, to achieve this in pro ball and continue playing. And he gets to watch, which is the coolest part. I did read somewhere that you have an impressive hat collection. Uh, I think it was over 130 at last check. How many hats did you pick up this year during your time in double A? Jeez, I think it's been, I wouldn't even call it a collection, really. I would just say it's more of a, a pile. It's like 
you know, you go play for all these teams and you pick up all these hats on whatever night, you know, pinata night or whatever, and you just accumulate all these hats. So this year, I think we've probably gotten five or six different ones, um, which are now in the back of my car as I drive to Toledo. But uh, those will, those will come home. Those will be those will be thrown into the pile, I guess. Keep adding. That's the best part is that now you get a whole nother league. Not only do you get a Toledo hat, but you can get other hats too. Ryan, congratulations on the promotion. It's a it's a big weekend for the Tigers, and we're so excited that you're a part of it now. Go kill it in Toledo, and thanks for joining us here on the road to Detroit. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be on. It's now time for best in class. A lot of competition for best in class this week. Of all the players in the Tigers minor league system, this one made the most noise and enough noise to move up the minor league ladder. That massive third inning against Binghamton. 2-1 pitch. Green smokes it out to right field. It's a grand slam for Riley Green. His second grand slam of the season. It's a 10-1 ball game. Riley Green, you know the backstory. You know the young man. We've had him on this podcast multiple times, and all he has done is deliver. It is amazing. Think back to the 2019 draft. The first overall pick that year, Adley Rutschman, who's currently the number one prospect in Major League Baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. The number two prospect is Spencer Torkelson. The number three prospect was taken in that same draft along with Adley Rutschman. That was Bobby Witt Jr. He's with the Kansas City Royals. And now sitting at the number five overall pick is currently ranked the number five prospect in the game by Baseball America. So in that one draft, 2019, we're talking about three players taken in the top five who are currently in the top five prospects in the game. What a year to have a top five pick. And by the way, what a good year to nail that pick. I don't think Riley Green was a given on draft day. I think he was the favorite, but I don't think he was a guaranteed lock to go to the Tigers, not like Spencer Torkelson was or like Casey Mize was. And granted, that's a little different because you have the first overall pick. But when you don't have it, you don't really have a guaranteed consensus on who will end up being the pick. I think we thought Riley Green was the likely player to be taken at number five, but you just don't know. You don't know if he's going to be there. You don't know how the board's going to shake out. But as the dust continues to settle on that pick, and the pick made the year after in Spencer Torkelson, now all of a sudden the Tigers have two of the top five prospects in Major League Baseball. Baseball America actually did a re-rank of the farm systems across Major League Baseball. Tigers dipped down the number six, but... They could have a couple other players move into the top 100 in short order. And six is still not bad. How many people used to say, oh, well, they don't have any superstars in the system. They don't have enough superstars. Okay, well, how about now? You've got arguably two of the best position player prospects in all of baseball sitting in the top five of that list. But we gave you the numbers on Riley Green. He was the double-A player of the week in the Northeast League. Four homers, 12 RBIs, and six games. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Riley Green is this week's best in class. Although, Nate Wangler, he had some competition, did he not? He did. The winner of this week's Rosa is Spencer Torkelson and Daniel Cabrera's bat, apparently. Spencer Torkelson went 9-for-21 with a double, seven RBIs, and three home runs this past week. Those three homers coming in back-to-back games. 
and he's becoming exactly what we thought he was going to be. And I think it's nice for Tigers fans because they were waiting for that next group to come up through the minor leagues together and then make an impact in Detroit. And I think that's what they're getting in Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. And I love that story of using Daniel Cabrera's bat, by the way. I don't think he's getting it back, but the winner of this week's Rosa is Spencer Torkelson. And again, they will be hand-delivering these awards to (laughs) these particular players. Remember that scene in The Hangover where the guys are trying to get dressed in the car as they make it to the wedding at the very end and the band pulls up on the freeway and they're giving them all the clothes? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's how you deliver the Rosa in this situation. (laughs) These guys are headed to Toledo. They're on I-75, up pulls Nate with a bunch of flowers. (laughs) As long as I get out of there in one piece, we're good. So, (laughs) congrats, Spencer Torkelson. Our Dylan Rosa award winner. Welcome back. It's the Road to Detroit podcast. Greg Gania, the voice of the Erie Seawolves, got to see a whole lot of Spencer Torkelson. We both did over the course of the 2021 season, and those days are now gone. Greg Gania joins us now. Greg, it's good to talk to you. It's just crazy to think about how fast some of these guys are moving. Yeah, it really is. Um, the uh, When my phone rang yesterday and Tigers PR had called, I, I I was in the grocery store and I saw the name pop up on the phone and I'm like, well, there goes Riley Green. Um, <laughs> but I did not expect that conversation to dovetail into Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, Ryan Kreidler, and then Brady Policelli too. So uh, yeah, it kind of caught us off guard. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I think uh, we were under the impression, I think everybody was, that, that at least Torque and Dingler and Kreidler would be here a little while longer. But um but they're fast tracking it. And um, like I said, we I think even the guys in the clubhouse were caught off guard by it. Um, but, you know, so happy for all of them. Um, it, it's great that they have advanced them to and then the organization feels comfortable enough to put them uh, one step away from the major leagues. And, um, you know, I'll be interested, interested to see how they uh, how they perform up there. We had Dave Littlefield in town. He was in Lake County to watch Reese Olsen pitch the other day. Apparently, when Dave comes into town and watches you, you're, you're pretty soon to get out of town. So apparently... Well, it's you funny you say that because when, when Dave Dombrowski was in charge, if Dave came into town and you performed, you were probably getting traded. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I'd rather be promoted than traded. Uh, so he, he said to us on this show, once upon a time, he said, you know, the player tends to let you know when they're ready to be promoted. So, you know... We saw what Spencer Torkelson did. We saw what Riley Green did. Of course, the pandemic came in. We knew that Riley wasn't coming back to West Michigan, and we knew that Spencer Torkelson would not last long to begin the season with the Whitecaps. So I'll pose it to you. We know what we saw this year that got Spencer Torkelson promoted. What did you see that they may have promoted him for? You know, the, the, the power numbers uh, have been there since since Tork got to AA, and you guys saw that down, uh, down in West Michigan as well. Um, you know, the average up until last week, um, he was still hovering in the 220 to 230 range on the average. Um, so really he had, uh, he had a good week and that, and I think that kind of forced the issue a little bit with, uh, with him. Um, you know, when, when, when they finally got the average to a, a, a good number that would be, um, acceptable of a promotion, uh, I, I think that's when they decided to pull the trigger. Um, but that's why I think a lot of people were caught so off guard was, um, was the fact that he had been struggling to, to hit when he, when he was getting the hits, they were good. They were big hits. He was hitting home runs. He was hitting doubles. Uh, he, he was driving in runs, but the, the hits were, were few and far between for about a, a, a three week stretch. Um, and then this last week, uh, really clicked, um, 
Altoona's pitching staff is, is not what it was at the beginning of the season. So I think our guys really feasted on that. I mean, you, you look at a couple of our box scores from the past week and Dan, you and I maybe have been able to get a couple base knocks off the Altoona pitching staff. <laughs> they, they were, they were really struggling, but, uh, but, but those guys were able to bolster their numbers. And I think when you, you take it as a whole, um, I, I think they, they thought that those guys had turned a corner and, uh, and had worked through some of their struggles um, you know, Joel, the hitting coordinator was in this past week and they tinkered with Riley swing a little bit. He and Adam Melhews were, uh, were working really hard with, uh, with, with torque, um, and, and Riley and Kreidler and all those guys. And they, and they, it all started to click and whatever the adjustments they were making started to work. Um, like I said, I, I thought after what Riley has done the past couple of weeks, I thought, okay, he's probably going to go soon. Um, but again, you know, it, it's funny. And when, when they were promoted to Erie originally, um, I, I'm big into talking to a lot of the scouts that we see at the ballpark and I'll, I'll pop in and talk to some of the other coaches, uh, as well. Um, and a lot of scouts were surprised that the Tigers had moved them from both he and Dingler from West Michigan when they did. Um, and, uh, and in the same vein, a lot of the ones I've talked to recently, I'd say about probably 60% to 70% of the scouts that I've talked to and, and not Tiger scouts, other scouts from other organizations that came in to watch. Uh, a lot of them felt that, that, you know, all three of those guys probably needed some more seasoning. And then you talk to some guys and they said, well, yeah, you know what? He can go up to the big leagues right now and perform. So it, it's kind of a mixed bag. And then, um, and then you talk to some of the opposing managers that we have seen uh, in, in the last two months. And it, it's been on the, on the field side, it's, it's been, those guys need to probably stick around in one spot for a little longer. Um, and to which we know that the minute any of them were performing, that wasn't going to happen. But it was just interesting to hear the perspective from other organizations, scouts and coaches on these guys. Um, and, uh, and then obviously the, the big news happened yesterday. I started kind of trying to ration it out because I was like you, you know, and I think I even said something on Twitter about, you know, I just, I can't honestly think of what boxes he has left to check in double A. Little did I think that was coming this quickly, but sure. the, the thing was, was that the one thing that stuck out in my mind was the fact that Toledo is right there in the thick of their race in their division. Whereas sure. you guys have had a great season, but you're a couple games farther back. We know that AAA is going to be playing some extended baseball this year because yeah. they added more games. I have to think that that might have something to do with this. It could. And, and you know what? And what's tough for us now is after our win on Saturday night, I think we closed the gap to within three and a half or four games of a playoff spot. Um, and the teams we were playing coming up are, you know, Bowie were, who were chasing and they, they got really decimated by call-ups. Uh, I mean, the Orioles, the Orioles made more moves than the Tigers did the past couple of days, I think. So, um, it, it really has been a flurry of moves throughout minor league baseball the last week. Um, some of them you, you scratch your head at, you know, and, and obviously not in the Tiger organization, but Adley Rutschman, when he got called up, you know, we, we saw him at UPMC park uh, about a month ago. And there was rumblings then that a kid like that was going to go up to AAA. And I'm like, really? Uh, you know, I just, it's, it's an interesting dynamic in the game right now. Anytime you have money invested in a prospect and they show you just a little glimmer of potentially being ready for a level, then these organizations are not wasting any time saying, Hey, look what we're doing. We're promoting guys and our player development system is working. Um, I, I think it has to be the right player. 
in order for the player to handle that um, because we've seen over the years guys who get rushed too quickly and then fall, fall flat on their faces at the next level and they never can bounce back from that. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly what all went into yesterday. Um, but yeah, Riley had checked those boxes. You know, I, I think fewer boxes probably checked on, on Torque and Kreidler, um, but, uh, but Riley's boxes were checked. We're talking to Greg Gagne here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. Somebody pitched this idea to me earlier this year, and I didn't quite see it playing out the way that it has. It's proven them correct, at least from my standpoint. And they made this assumption that, well, because low A now is played essentially on the complexes, you know, look at the Lakeland Flying Tigers. They're playing in low A. They're playing in the big stadium as opposed to the backfields. And there's no short season Connecticut, for example. So now high A, in a strange sense, is almost kind of still used as a low A affiliate in the sense of once you leave the complex, it, it, it's it's onward and upward. And yeah. I don't know if it's faster moving in terms of up the organizational ladder, but I've started to kind of understand where that thought process is coming from. Yeah, you're not wrong on that. I, I think that's that, that's an interesting way to put it. And, you know, I think the other thing that that really no one is talking about right now is the is the domestic player limits. You know, we just had a draft. And you are not allowed to stockpile players as you were in 2019 and in prior years. You know, you don't have your extended spring training. You don't have places to stash guys that might not be ready to go to that next level. Um, so I, I, it is it is quite astonishing throughout baseball. You know, you would have thought in a pandemic year, player movement would be less. And it actually, the opposite is happening. It's more player movement and now you throw in taxi squads on top of that. And I know part of the reason that yesterday happened was uh, the Tigers going to Toronto. Um, and so the, there, there are taxi squad with crossing the border. Um, so you, I know you have to have, and I don't know all the ins and outs of the, the Canada situation, but I, I know teams are, are stockpiling on the taxi squads right now because you're, you're going to need bodies when you go play north of the border. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's a really good point you bring up about how it's still kind of viewed as, as a low A situation. But I think a lot more of it is, is, is just the domestic player limits and they got to see what these, these guys have. And, you know, you, you scratch your head with, with some of the player moves that you see um, th throughout baseball, not, not a Tigers issue, not a, not a Baltimore because we brought them up. Issue. It, it, it's been all over where, you know, you'll see a guy have a good week and then it's all of a sudden okay well let's see what you can do in triple in, in a and you're like really this guy who struck out 10 times in the series we just played like, like what what are we doing here um but again you you have a shorter window of time to figure out first off as a player to figure it out um you know i, I think gone are the days of of the late bloomer players and you know it, it's not not necessarily with your high draft picks but if you don't perform now and there's fewer minor league players, you're, you're out and you know, you're not going to advance the levels if you don't perform and the guys who are performing are going to go up a heck of a lot quicker than we ever saw. Um, you know, we, we never expected to see Torque and Dingler as early as we did. Um, so like I said, that was, that was really surprising to us when that happened. And, you know, I don't think anybody saw the Torque going into Toledo right away. So, you know, other than the Twitter crowd, I said to our, our, our team president, Greg Coleman yesterday, I said, finally, after, Three and a half months, I don't have to worry about getting to work every day and seeing 15 tweets saying, bring him to Detroit, bring him to Toledo. <laughs>
Yeah, we got pretty used to that in West Michigan, too. Take me over to Ryan Kreidler because, yeah. you know, I'm fascinated with his story. You know, not playing at all at any of the Class A levels, played in Connecticut back in 2019. Numbers, frankly, weren't that great. And no. Ryan Kreidler would be the first person to tell you about that. But somehow, some way, he has made his numbers significantly stronger with a significant jump. So clearly the Tigers saw something with him, thought he could handle it. He's shown that he's done that. What have you seen from Ryan Kreidler this year? Yeah, you know, I just I, I knew you were going to ask me about Ryan. So I had his number, the, the trusty stat portal already pulled up here. Um, yeah, early in the season, it was a struggle for him. I mean, he was 218 in May. Uh June 277, 253 in July, and then you look at August, and all of a sudden it started clicking for him. 296, he was 16 for 54, a couple of dingers. Uh, the, the power has been there. Um, he was, where did he leave here? 15 home runs, 15 doubles. Uh, his biggest issue is the strikeouts. Um, that has, he's been able to curtail that a little bit as, as he's performed more at the plates. Um, you know, Kreidler right now, and I think if you asked Arnie Baylor, who has watched him every day, he can play in the big leagues right now defensively. Um, no doubt in my mind. Probably the best defensive shortstop in my time in Erie. Um, That's maybe, saying something because you saw Cole Peterson. Yeah, and, and I, I think that uh, my, the other name that was going to come to mind was uh, was Eugenio Suarez. When when before he before he really bulked up, um, Suarez we, we had Suarez and Hernan Perez up the middle back in 2013. I mean that was a pretty special infield. Um, Suarez Suarez was a flashier guy than than Kreidler in the field, um, but his range is incredible. I mean, and he is a field general, and I, I, and they and they they joke about it in the clubhouse. He's the captain in the in the in the field. And, you know, balls you see that, you know, he'll be playing up the middle. There's a ball hitting the foul territory. And, and all of a sudden, Kreidler comes flying in. And it's like, where the heck did he come from? And he makes the catch. And he makes every routine play. Um, you know, the, the errors, they, he only had six errors all year. And that's playing all but, I think, two or three games. I mean, he was every day at shortstop. Wasn't DHing. He was in there every single day, getting reps, uh, hitting in the two spot. Uh, even when he was struggling, they didn't move him down. They, you know, the organizational directive was where we want him in the two spot, and that's where he was. So uh, it, it was good to see the power numbers, um, but the, the the swinging and missing needs to to be fixed for him to really get to that next level. Um, and, and again, he's gotten better at it. He's not striking out as much as he was early in the year. Um, but you know, if, if you threw him at Comerica Park tomorrow, he's not a defensive liability by any stretch of the imagination. He can go up there right now and play a really, really good defense. And he commands his position. He balls hit, you know, into the infield, up in the air, he's taking command. Balls into the outfield, he's taking command. Unless it's, a, you know, unless it's for sure Kerry Carpenter's going to catch that ball and left, Kreidler's right there next to him. And it, it's it's been fun to watch. And, you know, I, I think he got overshadowed quite a bit with all the other prospects that were here. But I think the biggest uh, improvement for Ryan was when he got more support in the lineup. When you put him right in between Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, and then you threw Dingler before he got hurt into the cleanup spot, uh, that's lineup protection that he wasn't getting at the beginning of the year. And we were winning a lot more games at the beginning of the year, but Ryan was struggling. So I, I just don't think he was seeing the pitches. And once he started seeing pitches, then you, you know how that works. You, you, you've seen it throughout your career. I mean, if you can, if you can have a guy surrounded by other guys in that lineup that can put the bat on the ball and make an impact, 
then you're going to see more pitches in that spot. And I, I think that's been the big thing. And, you know, I, I will say that, um, you know, one of one of my big things, and I've, I've told this to Arnie, I've told it to, to Mark Johnson, and, and, you know, even a couple of the Tiger Scouts I, I spoke with, uh, you know, as they would come through Erie, I said, for, for the sake of all three of those guys, I hope, and then, you know, Dingler obviously getting hurt, it is, uh, you know, it is what it is with him. Um, but I, I said, I hope, for the sake of those three that they all get moved together, whether they stay in Erie longer or whether it's Toledo. I, I just, I think that for the development of those three, keeping them together, because that could potentially be your core in Detroit in a couple of years, um, keeping them together was important. And I think that they're, they're all good friends. They all play well together. They're one, two, three in the lineup. It'll be interesting to see how Tom Prince uh, kind of navigates that up in, uh, up in Toledo. Uh, with the with his lineup now with all the all the bats that he's got, gosh, it's like a treasure trove of bats in the uh, in the Toledo clubhouse right now. And based on how the Tigers executed the draft this past year here in 2021, maybe there's a couple more pitchers headed your way. You know, in talking about keeping those three guys together, whether they keep them in Erie or move them up, one thing I think we can all agree on is that if you're a hitter, you like hitting in Erie far more than you like hitting in West Michigan. That ballpark that you guys have is absolutely a million times better to hit in, and I can think that the results probably reflected that. You know, it, it, it's funny you say that because our park has not been playing as I mean, we were we were under 500 at home going into this past homestand. So it, it wasn't really a situation at home this year with the numbers. The problem is, is our league. Um, our league is and I, and I don't know enough about the other ballparks in uh, what are you guys? The high A East? High A Central. Central? <laughs> The, the old Ms. Wesley. I don't know enough about those ballparks to, to make a, a fair assessment, but in this league, every park is a hitter's park. And even Altoona, which has traditionally played as a pitcher's ballpark, the ball's flying out of there now. And so every ballpark in our league, I mean, Somerset was a, an absolute joke. I mean, it was like 306 down the lines and, and an eight-foot wall for the home run line. And I mean, these, the teams in this league are just teeing off right now. And, and it's a, it's a microcosm of the ballparks. You know, the, the ones that used to be hitters parks aren't even hitter parks in this league anymore or pitcher parks. I mean, um, so I, I think that has, that has a lot to do with the numbers in the league as a whole. Um, but yeah, you know, our, our, our park is, is fun to hit in when the wind blows out. But as we saw on Sunday, when the wind blows in, there is nothing getting out of that place. And Lake Erie does some tricky things with, uh, with baseballs. And you would have thought yesterday, mid seventies, relatively low humidity that the ball was going to fly. It didn't. I mean, we had maybe two balls the entire game that went to the warning track. One got out. So um, it, it's, uh, there, there's a lot made of the Erie park. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, left field we're, we're three seventeen, but you still have to hit it over a 17 foot line. Um, center fields four seventeen. Uh, that's where Riley put it out of the other day. <laughs> so he, he, he got to navigate that ballpark pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, we saw Riley, I believe, hit a ball almost 116 miles per hour off the bat this season. And the thing that I remember noticing about him in West Michigan was simply this. When he arrived in West Michigan, the consensus was this kid's going to hit and he's going to be a phenomenal hitter in time. The questions were the rest of his game. Could he cover ground in the outfield? Did he have a strong enough arm? Could he run the base as well? And even though he didn't hit the way I think people thought he could, he was obviously doing that in the Gulf Coast League back in 2019. 
And he had, I think, 220 in West Michigan. We got this impression pretty quickly that he was going to be a do-everything type of player. He wasn't just a bat. How quickly did you figure that out? Um, that, that from, from the get go, you could tell, I mean, you could just watching him in batting practice, the, the ball, you know, th- there are certain, and you've been around long enough where, you know, the, there are certain players when they square up a baseball, it just sounds differently. And you get that sound with a guy like Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson. I mean, they are just, it, it, they're just complete ball players. Uh, they, they can do a lot of good things. Um, you know, the Riley, Riley navigated the outfield. I thought just fine. Um, and, you know, obviously we, we know the numbers of what he did at the plate. Uh, stole 12 bases. And really the last few weeks he hadn't been taking off as much. I, I, I would have liked to have seen him take some more opportunities at stolen bases. But when your offense is struggling, you, you can't lose outs. And so I think that really the, 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 the base running game slowed for us in July. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the arm, he really – I guess maybe the question mark would be the arm if I had to to pick one thing. Um, you know, he, he's sometimes he doesn't get a lot on throws, but other times you see him and, and he's able to fire it in. Um, you know, one of the things that Arnie Baylor has done, and probably more so than any Erie manager since I want to say since Tom Brookins, um, the the fundamental work that Arnie has done with this team this year has been fun to watch and. Guys, you know, I never thought I'd see a team that enjoyed taking PFPs and taking infield work. I mean, he has basically a schedule every week of, hey, here's, we're doing this on one day, we're doing this on another, but he's always hitting, you know, they're always taking infield. Um, they're, they're always doing something different every day to try and get better. And I, I really, I think that that has made an impact on a lot of these guys. And, and we were the best defensive team in the league for a reason. And it was because of all the extra work that these guys were putting in. Well, I will tell you this, if you're listening in Toledo, I remember Gage Workman, who I'm sure, Greg, you'll see in time in Erie. I I remember what he said because he has a ton of stolen bases this year. I think he's approaching 30 stolen bases as a pro this year. And I saw that when he was at Arizona State, I think he only had about 15 in three years and said, you know, hey, what's with all the stolen bases this year? And he said, well, when I was at Arizona State, you know, I had Spencer Torkelson hitting behind me. And when he hits behind you, the last thing you want to do is get thrown out. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they won't be running much in Toledo, but it doesn't sound like they'll have to be running much. I'm just interested to see the Toledo home run numbers because, I mean, Toledo, that, that that's a pretty nice hitter's park as well. And so I, I'll be interested to see how many uh, – Torque might be uh, wearing out the, the Mike Hesman home run alley or whatever they call it up there. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. Greg Gainey, the radio voice of the Erie Seawolves. Thank you very much, my friend. Congrats. And, and, and a great job in Erie as always. Well done. Thanks for joining us here on the road to Detroit. Thanks, Dan. It's now time for the road ahead. Lakeland takes off to Jupiter for a six-game series against the Hammerheads. West Michigan, they're home against the Tin Caps. It's the White Caps, it's the Tin Caps. Caps everywhere this week at LMCU Ballpark. In Erie, they hit the road for six games against Richmond, and Toledo hosts the Indianapolis Indians for six games. If this is your first time coming over to this podcast, being a part of the RTD, there's one job for you. Stop what you're doing, pick up your phone, hit the subscribe button. We are coming down the home stretch this year, and there are going to be a lot of eyes on the Tigers minor league system. This is the only place that you don't miss a beat. This is the place that you find out everything you need to know, and we get to hear from the players, some of whom are listeners to this very show. 
They're listening. So should you. It's the road to Detroit. Make sure you subscribe. Our thanks to Ryan Kreidler, who joined us here on this edition of the RTD, and Greg Gagne, the radio voice of the Erie Seawolves. And that'll wrap things up for Season 2, Episode 11 of the Road to Detroit podcast, presented by Carhartt. For our producer, Nate Wangler, I'm Dan Hasty. We'll see you next week. And until then... See ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.